0: Hey, everyone. Today's guest is Laura Jane Grace, lead singer and guitarist for the Gainesville, Florida punk band Against Me. I've known Laura and the rest of Against Me for around 20 years now, and they are absolutely wonderful people and amazing friends. Laura was kind enough to let me choose the song for today's podcast, and I went with White People for Peace, the lead single from their major label debut, New Wave. This is the first album that the band worked with producer Butch Vig, who also produced such groundbreaking records as Nirvana's Nevermind and the Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream. Laura talks about the importance of having a producer like Butch on board, and how that shaped not only this album, but her career moving forward. I mentioned that this album was a true turning point in their career. Sonically, it was as if the band had finally arrived. It sounds every bit as passionate and aggressive as the band does live. Laura also shares a funny story about the time the president of Sire Records and industry legend Seymour Stein dropped by the studio and listened to this particular song, White People for Peace. For all this and more, stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. This particular track, "White People for Peace," was was this written specifically for New Wave, or was this something you you had written prior?
2: This uh, this was written specifically for New Wave, and and I think that real quick to set the scene, it bears mentioning or it, it's worth mentioning that this was at a unique point of intersection between the two of our lives, in that at the time that this was written, it was written in two thousand six. Um, specifically, it was written like directly after the two of us had spent the summer together on the Vans Warped Tour. Correct. And that at the same time, also, we both shared an A&R person in Craig Aronson, and we yeah. were both on the same label at that time. <laughs> um, but so this was like, you know, we had we had already signed the deal with, with Sire Warner, and um, we, we had already been working, you know, like – getting ready for the, for the record and it was already decided like we knew we were going to be making the record with Butch Vig and uh, we were already pretty deep into the process and it was like directly after the warp Tour, I think we were doing Reading and Leeds that summer and um, we were over in the UK and I remember specifically, like, the morning I wrote it and everything. Like, we were in the UK. We had a couple days before we were going to do some festival shows and stuff. And we were doing pre-productions in, in, like, some rehearsal spaces there in London. We were staying at a Drury in
0: The Dreary Inn.
2: Yeah, 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 in Islington. (laughs) And um, I was being pushed, like, you know, Butch was like, just keep writing, keep writing, writes, you know, like, and giving me direction of something to write. And I woke up one morning, I, you know, got a coffee, took around walk around Islington. There was like a little market around the corner, uh, like a farmer's market type vibe. Went back to the hotel room, sat down and just like, came up with the song just straight up in one flash, came up with it we had rehearsals that afternoon, went in, showed everyone the song and it was like born immediately and it you know it never uh, never strayed too far from its initial incarnation other than uh, James coming up with the guitar riff lead um, that is in the intro and reintros.
0: Interesting. Okay, so you're you're over there rehearsing, and the song it sounds like it was written relatively qu- quickly. Do you remember if the music was written first, or did did you have the lyrics like in a notebook, or was everything kind of born at once?
2: It was born at once, which is rare, and I I mean I live for those moments when that happens. Like, oh yeah, you know. And I usually, most of the time, I start with the lyrics most often, um, and my theory behind that being is like it's kind of like you can either get a room and then arrange the furniture within the room, or you can arrange the furniture first and build the room around it. And I'd much (laughs) rather arrange the furniture first and then build the room around it. So I usually start with the lyrics and then fit the chords around them. Um, But uh, this was just one of those moments where it, where it all came at once. And I was specifically like going for a vibe of like, I want like, everything we had for the record that far wasn't like a, for lack of a better way to put it, like the heaviest rocking stuff, you know, like I, I wanted something that would like be the, the okay. This song will get the crowd going, you know, just like straight up a punk song. So that was like my approach for writing it, Um, and it just like it all came at once, music and lyrics.
0: Oh man! Well, <laughs> I've always loved this song. The first time I heard it, it was like the perfect. Perfect blend of like just teetering on just catchy. I hate using the word pop, but then it just had this underlying punk aggression and just nastiness to it. And knowing you, uh, at least off stage, you've always been very, at least to me, very soft spoken and polite. And I just when I, I when I hear you sing a song, like this, I'm like, where's this anger coming from? <laughs> and it's and it's awesome. It's awesome to to, to be able to uh, to channel that and, and do so. So when when butch first heard it do you remember his reaction
2: it was a really positive reaction like i remember realizing like okay i got a good one he thinks this one's cool (laughs) (laughs) like i knew i had done well and it was it was like you know again like not only did it like by myself did the music and lyrics come immediately and together like It was pretty effortless as far as the band. Sometimes, like, you know, you'll work out a song on your own and you're like, oh, this is awesome. It works so well. And you bring it to the band and it's like a train wreck and the band can't figure out how to make it work together. Oh, yeah. It was just seamless across the board. Like, everyone knew what to do. um, And the song was, was there. Like, we were. We, you know, we played through it uh, the one first time after after I, I taught it to everybody and then like immediately played through it again. And, and it was just it was just formed. It was a song and we had it, you know.
0: Yeah. And I and mean this with the utmost uh, respect when I say it, but I, I it almost now that you say it, it makes sense as if this was written so quickly. And here's the idea. And that's it. There's no really weird departure bridge part to the song because I don't think that would warrant itself. To the tune it had to be and I, you know i've used this term a lot simple um but uh you know the the, the chord progression uh throughout the song and we'll get to that in a little bit um you know it, it doesn't differentiate too much through this thing it just kind of keeps smacking you in the face and i that's what i love about it. it's just an instant track and uh remember specifically the warp tour in 2011 uh, there were days, you know, after you've, you've been out there for 25 days, you don't, don't want to watch all the bands every day, but this was one particular song I'd be like, you know, Hey, we're, we're going to go sign some autographs. No, I have to go, I hear him play on white people for peace. I have to go watch him play that and then I'll go sign some stuff. You know, I always made sure to watch this one cause I love the audience, uh, their reaction. So, um, the, the, the track is, is, is written. It was really quick that you had, it, it sounds like. And now I want to, if we can just kind of touch on the lyrics a little bit, this was of course, uh. Uh, during the, the Bush administration when you had, had written this, 2006. And um, the lyrics to me look, look pretty verbatim, you know, looking at them. But sometimes there's other stuff going on behind the lyrics. And I, I kind of want you to shed some light on that, if you could. Uh, uh, basically, just kind of tell us what the song's about.
2: Sure. It, well, it's, it's a protest song. And obviously, at the time, um, you know, we were very much embroiled in conflict in the Middle East. And, you know, I kind of reached this point in my life where I was struggling with how to write protest songs effectively in that you can you can get really specific and make it specifically about what is happening. You know, like uh, this, the very specifics of what was going on in the Middle East, or you can look at it in the bigger picture of just like, you know, a protest song against violence in general, against armed like occupation in general, against um, militarism in in general, you know? And, and, and I guess like, you know, that's where the frustration in the song kind of doubles down on itself is that it's not only like, you know, anger and frustration and heartbreak over the injustices that were happening in the middle East. It's the frustration over it just being so fucking cliche that it's like, you know, everyone just knows that these are the things that happen in a war, and that it's like you know, that that uh, that that the politicians are always like, "Oh, well, there's nothing we can do about it," you know, and that it that it's just like all so predictable in a way that you can map it all out from start to finish of the way it's gonna go. And then people will still act like it was unavoidable or necessary or that it serves some greater good when it never does. And it's just history repeating itself over and over and over and over again, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So like that's kind of that was the approach. And, you know, with with the title of White People for Peace, it was you know kind of a tribute to the clash with like the song White Riot of like yeah it's coming from a place of privilege of that recognizing that I'm just like a white kid from the US who's like protesting against war from you know while playing in a band on a major label and you know coming from a place of privilege and that um that that's like kind of you know the similar sentiment behind the song White Riot you know um so so those were the elements that that are at play there.
0: That's, that's awesome. And, and, and very interesting. And I just, I'd like to, to give our listeners the, the first verse here, uh, starts out east and west could not agree. So their generals gave call, gathered troops at the border with guns at ready, drawn and aimed. Each side was praying to a God to bless them with strength and courage. And I gotta say, Laura, you know, and I never really thought about this or analyzed it. I always just love the song, but uh, the last uh, day or so I've really been getting into the nuts and bolts in this. I picked up the guitar, I went through it and uh, not much rhymes in this song. It's almost like this was like a journal entry. You were pissed off one night. You just wrote this. Um, and, and that's admirable. That's hard to do. You know, usually, usually you want the one and three or the two and four lines to rhyme. And uh, this is just kind of like, just, and every word means something here. There's no throwaway words. And I love that.
2: Sure. I'm, I, you know, I, I go through, uh, I go through phases when it comes to lyric writing with the rhyming, like <laughs> I've been like really against rhyming and songs, but sometimes I'll be like, well, maybe not, maybe it's fine. Uh, but you know, um, love him or hate him uh, i think it's undeniable that eminem does some like pretty brilliant stuff when it comes to linguistics oh yeah and, like the idea of of how to twist words and the phrasing of words um to make them rhyme when they don't even rhyme so you can still <laughs> make them kind of flow and bounce off of each other from verse to verse uh and i think oftentimes you know it's more about getting like uh consonants to line up in lines you know of like okay five and then seven and then five you know like uh or or whatever combination um and kind of making things fit in that way but this was like more of a of a manifesto approach to the lyric writing and more of a just like getting the point across and that's what i mean by like you know writing the lyrics first and then fitting the chords around it like you're not going to come up with a new chord all the chords have been been invented it's going to be in the key of c or it's going to be in the key of f or the key (laughs) it's going to be in one of those and it's unavoidable and you didn't come up with them someone else did a long time ago so the great point (laughs) the combination of 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 like words though is is infinite you know like you can come come up with new ways to say things far there's far greater possibilities than there are of chord structures so taking that approach is always like where, where, what I prefer, but with this, you know, of just sitting down and kind of laying it out of like, well, what are those dynamics of war, you know? And, and it's always, you know, that like two sides who have been divided, you know, we're all one race, but there's a division and each side is so sure of their righteousness and each side always has God behind them. And, and just like, you know, if you remove yourself from that situation, like, well, obviously, that's false. You know, obviously, you know, it's impossible for both sides to have God be like, you're the you're correct here. And when it comes down to it, like both of them are wrong, <laughs> you know, like yeah. regardless of your subscription to whatever religion, like, you, you know, most every religion is about uh Nonviolence violence and, and murder being bad, you know, killing being bad. Uh, so like I, you know, it, it, in my opinion, like I, I'm a pacifist and, and that, and that war is just wrong across the board, you know, that there's just no justified reason for it and that any kind of justification behind it is a falsehood.
0: And that's uh yeah, I completely agree with that. I, uh, I hate it myself. It's, uh, you know, some people feel it's necessary, and uh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I wish we could we could have uh, world peace as well. Um, Talking about what but- to talk about Butch a little bit, if we could. Uh, I, I remember when I heard you guys were working with him. I was just like, I, I wasn't jealous. I was envious. I'm like, they get to work with Butch Vig. I just love everything he's touched. Pretty much, I think the guy's a genius. What was that like? Was was he someone that you, that you picked or was this a label suggestion or did you have a, a list of producers? How did he come into the picture?
2: Well, when it came to that conversation, you know, like with the label of like, okay, well, you know, you all need to pick a producer now. When it came down to it, like we were all still pretty green when it came to uh, working with producers or or what, or knowing how to approach working in a studio, even, you know, like really. Our first real experience with a producer had been the record prior to it with Jay Robbins. You right. Know? And and that was like the first real time we had worked with a producer. And every every other record we had made had been kind of more of, of a DIY level, of a DIY approach, and just like working with an engineer, you know, when you go in and and not knowing how to get what we heard in our head out into the record. Um, and even that being said, like, and Jay, Jay was great. It was a great experience, but like that wasn't really in depth with songwriting. Um, it was more just like, uh, you know, he was really great with helping us try to, to, to get the performance out of us and working with like getting the tones we wanted out of amps and, and, uh, and um, drums and stuff like that. But it was, you know, it was more of a, a, a limited time frame, too, in that uh, the previous record to New Wave Searching for a former Clarity was recorded and mixed in a month whereas New Wave was recorded in a mixed in three months. And then there was like, you know, months of pre-production before that. So this was both the first time we had done pre-production and the first time we had spent that much time in a studio and really just like the most in-depth we had gone into it. And the most I had worked really like side by side with the producer, specifically focusing on songwriting. But so when it came up to the, that point of like, you know they and our person Craig being like okay well you know we need to we need to pick a producer there was a lot of the real like pie in the sky cliche like obvious choices of producers of like of course you dream of working with them but realistically you're like that's not going to happen they're like rick <laughs> rubin you know you should make a record with rick rubin and it's like well yeah that would be awesome i don't know you know so like there was that list of them and, and butch was on that list and butch was definitely you know in my opinion like a, a similar where i was like yeah right like that sounds rad but that's never going to happen you know like why would why would butch want to work with us we're just some fucking punk fan from Gainesville you know <laughs> like um, it just seems so far-fetched and, and realistic but amongst that list of like names that all seemed unrealistic he was the one where I was like him you know like I, I if we can if out of any of these unrealistic possibilities if any of them could be, actually happen I want to make a record with Butch Vig. like he made Nevermind he made Siamese Dream like, yeah. uh, the, like a... for me, those records came out right when I was at that age where they, they changed my life. They changed who I was and they changed my direction in where I would go musically. Just they, they had ultimate influence on me, you know, and my friends and everything. So that when, when that chance was there, I just, I jumped at it and then huh. it became a reality.
0: That is so cool. It really is. I mean, and I, I, I might be putting you on the spot a little bit. What do you think of, of listening back now, uh, uh, 13 years removed to that record? Because I think it sounds incredible. I, you know, I really do. I, I think it, today it's just sounds as vibrant today as it did when it came out.
2: I think we got so very lucky. So very, very lucky because, you know, it's not only about like, you know, there's that list of impossible producers that they pitch at you. Um, And, and, and you're lucky that, oh my God, this, this, this impossibility is actually going to happen. And that's one little bit of luck. But then the real bit of luck is that afterwards, and once you're in the situation, is that, that Butch actually cared, you know. Like we could have gotten any of those producers on that list and got in in the studio, and then come to the realization of like, oh, this person doesn't actually give a shit. They're just taking the major label paycheck mm. and they're going to pump out a record with us, and it doesn't matter to them whether it's good or not because it won't actually affect their career because they're this fucking like, you know, big name record producer, and they'll go on to make a Red Hot Chili Peppers record or a fucking whatever, you know? Yeah. So, like, that was the second bit of luck is that Butch is just, like, salt of the earth, could not have, like, been more attentive and more invested in the record and, and really just, like, made it what it was and really guided us, you know, and that we, we, like, we got the most out of the experience not only in that, like, we got to make a kick-ass record but that we learned so much from it and that we had someone guiding us who was so very patient with us to be able to learn and to get the education out of it and not just the recording experience out of it. You know, like got to really like learn what it was like to make a record In with that much money, like that much of a budget and that much time to spend in the studio, which were lessons that we could then take with us and would be invaluable, you know, could apply to every other record we'd make for the rest of our lives. You know, I will be eternally grateful for that experience and for that guidance and, and just his generosity as a human.
0: Oh, that is that's amazing. Well, and, you know, Butch at the time, he still does kind of had the pick of the litter of whatever projects he wanted to do. So I, I truly believe he he loved your band, you know, and I think that's why he took the gig and, and, and it shows the record just it, it sounds awesome. And not to take anything away from uh, Jay Robbins, who for the listeners, uh, Jay uh, played in a, in a band or plays in a band called Jawbox. He was also in a band called Burning Airlines. And uh, uh, Jay's uh, done, an, done a number of records, of course, the uh, Against Me record, Searching for a Former of Clarity. Um, that record and your your previous records that you did in Gainesville with, with Rob McGregor, um, not taking anything away from those records. Certainly they're fan favorites, but I felt like the lights came on when when, when I heard this record with you guys. I'm like, this sounds like Against Me. If you crank this up in your car, this is what it sounds like if you're in some sweaty club watching these guys play. It's just it's just loud, it's brash and it sounds great.
2: Yeah, it, and it, well to us personally too, it, it like felt like a zenith in that way of like all the elements came together. You know, like at, where we had worked so hard for so long to make it fully realized. And then it, and then it happened, you know, like of like, okay, we got it right. Like we got it exactly how we wanted to get it. And, and it was the best absolute best we could do. There was no like, ah, damn, if only that would have been a little different. Like, you know, like, And anything that happened afterwards, like, it doesn't matter. It it didn't matter to us, really, you know, like as far as like sales or fucking bullshit like that, whatever, you know, like that wasn't what we were going for anyway. I'm I'm forever grateful for the experience.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's one of those things, especially a a punk band. And I know you guys wrestled with this of, oh, the selling out thing. And, and, and by, you know, 2006, 2007, that was kind of going to to the wayside, but certainly, uh, being a political punk band, you, you had those thoughts, but, uh, you know I think this was a pivotal point in your career that 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 uh, just took you to the next level I think it's uh, you know I'm not saying you guys wouldn't be here today but I think that that you're still relevant and still out there uh, uh, due in part to this record it was just it was a turning point in your career and it sounds sounds amazing um, want to get into the, the the pre-chorus now which is kind of my favorite part of the song it's just so just those drum hits dun 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 dun, dun. it's just so cool and it was. In- it was in his name artillery lit the sky on fire the people sang songs to try and stop the soldier's gun and then we go into chorus one protest songs in response to military aggression protest songs to try and stop the soldier's gun but the battle raged on Two things. Um, (laughs) The pre-chorus, you have Stop the Soldier's Gun, and that's also a lyric in the chorus. If if I ever did that in one of my songs, I'd be like, I have to change that. I can't have the same word in a pre-chorus as the chorus. Do you remember ever thinking that?
2: No, oh, you know, I. Jeez, that's the first time I've even noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> something that usually I'd be like, I, I'd be similar. I'd be like, oh, I can't do that. I can't. That.
0: <laughs> but I love it. I love it. It's great. I just don't know if I could have done it and pulled it off with conviction. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that dang. That's the first time I really noticed that. Um, No, yeah, I think maybe maybe it slipped by for me just because the phrasing is different. You know, and, and sure,
0: it's totally different.
2: Yeah. Yeah, dang!
0: <laughs> <laughs> I stumped Laura just now. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I I love that, and I and again, I didn't really notice it until I was breaking it down. And I and I really try to get into the songs when I when I do the show. I try to really live it in a sense and and get in there. And uh, I was looking at this like, wait a second, but it, it's you're totally right. It's sung with different different melody different everything and it just works here in the chorus is something you alluded to a moment ago um about that rhyming thing you know uh, aggression military aggression so then then the next line protest songs to try and stop the soldier's gun Uh, aggression gun the battle raged on and none of those words really rhyme but you kind of make them rhyme if that makes sense
2: it's like aggression soldier
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah
2: Aggression. <laughs> like, you get it. Kind of does in a way. Soldier's gun. Aggression. It's three <laughs> consonants Soldier's gun. Aggression. Like it, that. W- that way. In my head, it rhymes and it works.
0: It works for me too. It's great. Uh, <laughs> the the first chorus is is the two lines and it goes to the, the, but the battle raged on and then we have a reintro and the reintro is only one measure. It's a James guitar lick that happens. And it's the same chords as the chorus. You don't. It didn't need to change. Why? Why mess with it? Um, and I want to ask about this first chorus. Was uh, uh, up up to this point in the song, up to the first chorus? Do you remember Butch changing anything or making any suggestions? Hey, this should be a double chorus here, or was it a double chorus? And he he he, he uh, cut it back down to one, or was it pretty much what it is here?
2: I guess, you know, now that you mention it, this, the, the, the intros, reintros and course links and stuff like that were things that changed from the original, like what I came up with sitting in the hotel room where I'm going to, I'm going to, if, if I can remember correctly, like, I'm going to say that I probably wrote an intro, wrote the verse wrote the chorus that went through once. You know what? I'm going to say that it probably didn't even go to the chorus the first time when I wrote it. I'm going to say it went intro, verse, second verse, then the chorus when I first wrote it. And that that was like one of the most like eye-opening moments of being produced that I uh-huh. also I should add in that like when we went to pre-production that day in, in Islington, in London, or whatever, um, that Butch was there with us, like he was in in the room when I first showed the, song, the band the song. Like cool. uh,
1: What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground cities to local communities cbp agents and officers are keeping people safe join u.s customs and border protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself learn more at cbp.gov careers
2: so but um and and you know there's to jump back i don't i've mentioned rick rubin twice but um you know there's i don't know if you've ever seen the dixie chicks documentary Um, i haven't it's, it's a cool documentary. There's this one scene where they're making a, a record with, with uh, Rick Rubin and they've been like working on the song and they bring it to him and he listens through it and they're like waiting for his advice on what to do the, with the song and he, and he like strokes his beard and he's like, I would say make that better. And they're like, "Oh yeah, oh duh. yeah, totally. We need to make it better. Um, but like, that was like the, one of these it's like one of these obvious things that I didn't realize of like what producing actually is. and it's so simplistic of like Butch would look at a song and he'd look at like with this song and he'd be like, "That part's really cool. Do it again. <laughs> you know, like just, just double the chorus or like, do, do the, the intro's really neat do it again after the, after the first chorus, you know, Mm -hmm. like of of doubling the parts that were really good. And if there were parts that felt a little too long or a little too long winded, do that less.
0: (laughs) And isn't, isn't it funny how a producer, I always kind of equate it to like a little league coach. It's like if one of the kids on the team or if, you know, if, if Andrew or James were like, Hey, Laura, we should double that course. You're like, fuck you. It's my song, you know, but the producer's just like, I like that part. You should do it twice. You're like, okay. <laughs> and, and it takes, it takes the sting out of it though. And it makes you realize I learned very on with producers. What was fascinating to me was that they didn't have the vested interest in, from the heart that, that, that we have. We're so attached. We get that thing called demo-itis to a song and we're like, how dare you change my art where they're just coming from a point of, I like the way it makes me feel when you double the chorus. Just try it. You're like, okay, and then yeah. later, later on, you go, I can't imagine having the, the not having the chorus there. I can't imagine skipping it. And this almost now because it's you know, this is the shortest chorus in the song. This almost sounds like it was a compromise where it's like we got to get this in there. It's so damn catchy, but we don't want to give it away
2: yet. Right, right. Because the second chorus is the double chorus, you know, and mm-hmm. so it's more like building to that. And 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 you're right. Like it is. And and that's the testament to a great producer is like is that they can like kind of disarm you in that way and, and and open you up to suggestion because especially being in a punk band, and I've you know, I've been the producer at this point where I've made a couple records with bands where like it seems real like oftentimes punk bands are like, Hey, I want you to uh produce this record. And then you like get into the studio and they, because they're punk, they're like, I hate the producer. I'm not going to listen to anything you say <laughs> as a producer because we're punk and we're artists and no one's going to tell us what to do with our art, you know? And I've been that person too on the other side where that's that's your attitude because you're so protect- protective and you don't have trust, you know? So it's like so hard to get to this place of trust where you're able to be like, okay, I'll try that. And oftentimes, you know, the only way you know, like, they're right or that they, you know, is because they're not wrong. Because you play it and you're like, that does feel good. It's not wrong. And you know, it's wrong when you play it and it is wrong. But you have to admit to yourself when you play something, you're like, no, it's great. It it works. You just know it works, you know? But again, a testament to Butch for being great in that like, he got us to that place where where I was totally 100% willing to listen to his advice and totally willing to try out anything he suggested. And and he was also totally willing to be wrong if he was.
0: And it's great to be able to open yourself up to that vulnerability because that's hard. It's very hard, you know, especially when you've been... (sighs) you guys, you, you, you were successful, you know, you had a good track record going on here. You had a, a great fan base and now you're trusting somebody else. And, and that, that's hard to do because if it's not broke, don't fix it. You were doing well up to this point. Um, and, and the fact you were able to, to open up and, and let somebody, let somebody in, uh, that that's huge. And not a lot of, not a lot of bands can do that. Um, getting into the second verse, uh, sirens filled the air and the ground shook with war. Civilian casualties had been a cost that was predetermined. When interviewed for report, victims pleaded in frustration, their claim that this was a war without reason. This uh, verse here is a mouthful. You're spitting some words out quickly. I don't know how, like the victims pleaded. I'm like, whoa, I, I had a, like, is that really what, what, what you're saying there? Silence
1: of the air and the ground war. The claim that this is a war without
0: reason. It's a lot. And uh, great verse. And then we get into the pre-chorus number two. And this line is just, I love it. And bureaucrats engage in debate to try and reach a resolution. And then the same line happens again after that. The people sang protest songs to try and stop the soldier's gun. And just the the drum accents and the chord changes in in that. Uh, it seems like it grows there in the production. Do um, you remember Butch talking about that at all? Like, you know, we got to bring another guitar in there or, or production values in that part of that the song?
2: Not specifically, but I do remember that being like kind of an overall an overall approach to like, how do you build the song and get the dynamics to like re-engage you each time it got to, it, especially if it's like, you know, a three chorus song, like how do mm-hmm. you really bring something new? And that it is about that. if like re-hooking someone in and you got to bring, bring it back into the song. But damn, like, you know, talking about it, lyrics being a mouthful, like, I, I do recognize that fully, and there's so many times, often like playing live, especially where I'm like, Jesus Christ, if I could only have le- been like a little less verbose. <laughs> you know, like.
0: Yeah, I can't even breathe. I'm at the cat's cradle in friggin', you know, uh, North Carolina. There's 800 people shoved in a room that could comfortably fit 300, and here I am trying to get out 18,000 words. I, I hear oh, God,
2: you. What I would give to be in that room right now. That would I, know, I, I know. I know. Right? Feel that smell? That much sweat? Feel all that spit flying back to me safely. Oh uh, yeah, but also like not to mention with this song, it's like it's all downstrokes. So like as far as a wrist workout, Jesus Christ, you're just like <laughs> hammering on 16th the whole entire time of the song. Um, which again, like you know, talking about well, how do you build it like that? that's you know, so it is like it's it's about those like subtleties between the guitar of like having the. The riff in the intro and the reintro, which is a hook, and then like you know kind of pulling back during the verses and letting it kind of explode during the course, but it, it explodes in a way of like making it expansive mm-hmm. between the chords even though it's just barreling along like a train, you know?
0: Well, and hammering those 16th notes like you were talking about, th- it makes the song sound faster than it is. I mean, this is a pretty peppy tune, but this thing is just driving. And, and it's, it's the way that...
2: 53 BPM or something like that,
0: I y- want to say. Yeah, it's just the way that, the, that it's played. And, and, you know, the it's in the lyric of the song, Aggression. There's a lot of aggression in that, in that guitar playing. Uh, and, of course, I want to talk about in a moment uh, uh, James' backup vocals, which are just... Uh, so cool. I love, I love the harmonies that, that he does. Um, So we get into chorus two and uh, chorus two is doubled Uh, protest songs in response to military aggression, protest songs to try and stop the soldier's gun that goes through twice, but the battle raged on. And then we get into kind of what, what I would call the bridge guitar. solo. it's only one measure of the same chords as the chorus with that intro riff guitar solo coming in. And then we're into the pre-chorus number three, which this pre-chorus in this song is almost like the other chorus. By this point now, it's so <laughs> it's so catchy and so good that I want to hear it. And this is genius now, and I want to know if this was was you you all or Butch. Now this pre-chorus is doubled. <laughs>
2: i yeah i can't i don't even remember (laughs) 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 so
0: so here's the lyrics for for the listeners um while the broadcast like their prayers went unanswered and ignored god like the rest of the world just watched in silence and the melody is tweaked here a little too it's not quite like the 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 first two uh pre-choruses and you don't say stop the soldier's gun in this one but you, you go on to say in the second half of it there was purpose to be served there were fortunes to be earned before a piece could be called to stop the fighting. They sang. And then it gets in, we'll get into the third chorus in a second. But do you, sounds like you don't remember if you or, or Butch uh, doubled that one?
2: I, yeah, I, I, I honestly can't remember it because, because I know that it wasn't purposeful. I basically is what I'm saying. Like I know that when I sat down and wrote the song that I was not like, Okay, well these first two pre choruses, I'll repeat that line right before the chorus set up and then with this third one I won't, I'll double it and do that. Anything that happened was totally like coincidental on my end of that I, I was always going for bulk. Like I'm gonna write as many words as I can and I'm gonna write <laughs> as much music as I can and then somebody's gonna tell me to to edit that and chop it down. And that's a better problem to have than not having enough when I go into practice and everyone's looking at me like we need something to work on, you know? Um, so that was always my approach. So, but I, I'm going to guess that there was re- the arrangement of that was something that was then worked out between all of us and butch and, and everything. But you know, the, the following course then it's like, it's a different course and that it does pull back. And it's something that we've like adapted even in um, to, with the live show, and I'm, you know, it took us years to realize we, we could do it. Of like with that third chorus, of like, oh, you can totally drop out the music here, and it can just go straight to the kick drum, and then hand claps. Uh huh. You know, get the audience going, and then go into the chorus, and then rebuild back into it one more time before because it's like a the last chorus is like four times through. I want to say.
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah. And and I want to get that real quick. The last thing about this pre-chorus, though, that again. This is almost like a chorus at this point, especially now that you're. I just, I love, I love the part. I love the way the angst in your voice and how you sing this thing. Um, and it, I can't think of another song. Usually, pre-choruses happen twice in a song. You know, this is. I can't think of an instance where a pre-chorus was now at the very end of the song doubled. I just can't. But this works so well, and I can't imagine it not being four times. It's it's awesome or t- two times. Um, it's great. And then you get into the last course of, of what you're speaking of. This is interesting, okay. The first four lines here, James's harmonies change..
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think prior to this, my vocal approach was always d- a different melody every time. I was more I was always going for performances, not right like I would write the chords. and in my head, I would hear melodies but it was never like and now I'll do this again you know like it was always just like <laughs> and now this time maybe I'll be a little more reserved in my performance cuz I was always thinking about it live and so working with Butch was the first time it like dawned on me you know through him through his guidance of like uh hey you need to uh you need to write a vocal melody <laughs> and that means that <laughs> you <a> what <laughs> of the song. that's like a part of it you know uh so it was the first time we had planned anything in any way first time we had done you know and and before when it came to backing vocals too it was always just like like a free for all of like you know being being like okay well you know it would be cool if uh you did some backing vocals on the chorus because i think that would encourage the audience to sing along on the chorus too so if they hear you on the record singing along then they'll they'll know to sing along live to the chorus but this was the first time we had thought out like or we had been you know guided to like, hey, you should uh, come up with what the vocal harmony is and you should uh, plan it out and make it make it
0: interesting and, and it's a pretty big change these first four lines this in this last course before it before it doubles uh, another four lines um do you remember butch any input from him or, or did he ever say well we can't change the melody of the chorus because typically you don't if you're going to change the melody hey we'll we'll make the back half of the pre-chorus a little different than the first time and there might be a little melody fluctuation but this is drastically different these first four lines <laughs>
2: I feel like I'm learning about the song. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who the <laughs> hell knew you had to talk to me to learn about your songs? Jeez. It's cool, though. I, that's what I love. I love doing this. And I, I, I'm really getting a, a kick out of your response, Laura. I really am. I think it's I think it's funny because uh, I'm sure people could teach me about my songs, too. You know, when you record something, I always joke. It's not like I sit around listening to my own music, you know.
2: Sure. Yeah. You listen in the studio, but like you're listening with different ears too. Oftentimes, you know, like, and it's so jarring where like you listen to a record you've made a couple months later and you're like, oh, holy shit. What what the fuck is going on there? That's the tempo, <laughs> you know, like, or yes.
0: what was I thinking?
2: You're like, oh, that lyric is bad. Um, you know, so you're just listening in such a different way in the studio. And when you're in the moment, And then when you remove from it, you know, and and oftentimes, too, like, you know, it's such a different experience between playing something live and trying to record it and the way you hear it live versus the way you record it. But I will say that with this song, like the experience of listening to it recorded is similar, really similar to playing it live. And and that's like always something that we wanted is like, we want it to sound like it sounds live, you know, like mm-hmm. we want what it sound like we sound like with the band. And that's something that had always been so elusive to us and hard to capture and something that I am proud of with new wave, you know? In oh,
0: I, when I first heard, I was like, this is what they sound like. This is what against me sounds like. It's, it's raw. It's in your face. It's brash. The chorus goes through uh, another full set, which it picks back up to the original melodies. Uh, then it ends with the, with the battle raged on, and, and, and that's the end of the tune. And um, it's just uh, a great track. I wanna go back real quick when you, uh, the song was recorded, and uh, you know that that first time in the studio you're sitting around and you're kind of making sure all the parts are there, all the overdubs, and, and Butch is there pushing up the faders, and you're, and you're sitting back. What was your initial thought?
2: Well, this song actually has probably one of the best stories behind it as far as tracking and um, one of the most unique experiences when we were in the studio. It was one of the first songs we recorded, not the first. The first song we recorded on um, New Wave was the song Piss and Vinegar. That was the first one tracked. Okay. And the logic behind that is that it was the easiest song to play. So like, go in and track your most effortless one. So while, while White People for Peace wasn't the most easiest, it was still... St- straightforward enough that it was one of the earlier ones. And it was also like, you know, it was there, like a lot of the stuff we've talked about as far as like doubling parts, you know, doubling courses and stuff like that. Sure. But the overall parts were there, you know, so like the arrangement of it, while it might've been like, worked out over pre-production, it was like decided going into the studio. But so it was one of the first songs we tracked, one of the first songs we finished everything for. And, you know, we still had probably like half of the record, to finished, and we're sitting there in the studio. We recorded at this studio called Paramount Studio in in downtown or in in Los Angeles, downtown Hollywood. Um, not not any affiliation with the movie studio, but. Um, okay. And we're sitting there one afternoon, and there's a buzzer on the intercom goes off, and the front desk person is like, Seymour um, Stein is here to see the band. And we thought it, you know, Seymour Stein He, um, for those who don't know He founded Sire Records He signed the Ramones He signed Madonna He signed, you know, Echo and the Bunnymen Like, you name it Like, a historic figure in the music community Bell and Sebastian wrote a song about him On The Boy with the Arab Strap Like, a mythological figure in rock and roll, right? Um, So, we thought it was like Somebody fucking with us or something (laughs) Yeah But sure enough Seymour Stein comes waddling down the hall and into the studio, (laughs) and he sits down at the console, and, like, Butch is just as, like, kind of blown away as we are that, like, Seymour Stein just came into the studio, and he came alone, you know? He didn't, like, come with an entourage, no one with him or anything, he just comes in um he was and- checking
0: on he was checking on his investment
2: right <laughs>
0: <laughs> he find. he finds you
2: <laughs> yeah so he comes in and he sits down at the console just like the naturalist thing in the world and he's like and we're just kind of like looking at him you know and he's like well play me something so so butch tells billy who was the you know one of the engineer we worked with he's like uh let's play him white people for peace so we play him white people for peace song finishes He's silent for like what feels like an eternity. (laughs) He turns to Butch and he's like, well, Johnny Ramone would have either loved it or hated it.
0: (laughs) How do you take that? I
2: don't know. (laughs) And then he stands up, asks us if we want any pictures. We take a couple pictures with him. He talks about his jacket. He had like this members only jacket on, <laughs> and got it at like a strip mall in South Florida, and, <laughs> and he kind of got a good deal on it. We take the pictures, we shake his hands, and he leaves. And then we just carry on with the recording for the rest of the day. And that was it. That was like, you know, that was the experience. Um, but like, I guess like, it was a compliment, ultimately. I think, you know, the Johnny Ramone would have hated it part of it was that, you know, Johnny Ramone was fairly right wing when it comes down to it. So it's a protest song. And I think that Seymour recognized that. <laughs> that Seymour was also saying that, well, it's great. It's very punk. And that, again, the 16th and the downstrokes that maybe Johnny Ramone would have loved that part of it.
0: Oh, geez. Thank <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That was really funny, <laughs> really cool. I, um, wow. I don't even know how, how we could follow up something after that. So I, I'm just going to say uh, we're coming to a close here. I want to thank you again so much for, take, for taking the time. And uh, if you'd like to leave uh, our listeners with anything Laura Jane Grace uh, against me related, uh, uh, spill it out now.
2: Well, I would say that, you know, Chris, as I mentioned to you when we were setting up, I, I did just, I recorded a solo record and I'll send you a copy of this solo record that, um, it's coming out on October 1st as a surprise release for people. And, uh, I recorded it here in Chicago, uh, with Steve Albini, totally analog recording, uh, Awesome. Me and a guitar. And, um, I do have that coming out. That's coming out on polyvinyl on October 1st. So, uh, please excuse the blatant self-promotion, but since I,
0: have- I love it. No, no, promote promote away.
2: Um, but I'll send you a copy. I'd, I'd love for you to check it out.
0: I would love, I would love to check it out. And, uh, if you'd like to, uh, anybody to find you online, can you tell them where to find you online?
2: Um, on all my socials, I'm just at Laura Jane Grace.
0: Well, there you have it. Um, thank you for, for breaking this song down and, and letting me educate you about your song.
2: Right on. It was a pleasure (laughs) working with you. I miss you. I feel like I've seen you at least in passing every summer for like the last 15 years. And it's heartbreaking to me to to not run into you this summer.
0: I know. The last time I saw you was last uh, about this time uh, at Riot Fest last September.
2: Fuck. Yeah.
0: That was the last time. So I hope to see you sooner and later and uh, all the best to you. Thank you.
2: Right on. Take care, Chris.
0: Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana?
2: So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective, that's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective,
0: the only podcast you crank up to 11. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to know at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Till Morning from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, I, d- I describe these guys as m- melodic, upbeat, uh, and-, and punky with honest and introspective lyrics. Uh, I really like their sound. The band consists of Devin Parker on guitar and vocals, Patrick Parker on guitar and vocals, and Mickey Molinari on the drums. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Till underscore Morning underscore Band. Here's a snippet of their song, OK. OK.
1: Ramp with Chris and Chris. Hey,
3: Chris, that was another great episode, and I thought it was really impressive that you actually
0: taught Laura about her song. <laughs> you know, it's I kind of kind of touched on it a little bit. It's it's interesting to uh, you know look at a song as as an outsider and analyze it because. You know, like I had told her, you don't we don't sit around as artists and listen to our stuff years later, unless it's for reference of, hey, I have to learn this song I haven't played in 10 years for a show or something. You just uh, you, you record it, you purge it and uh, and you move on to to the next project. So when uh, you're able to analyze somebody else's song and bring it uh, to them, I mean, she was just kind of floored at points like I never thought about that. That's that, <laughs> that's really cool, though. And I think it's cool to hear your own music through somebody
3: else's ears, if you know what I mean by that. Because, of course, you'll get a mix back of a new song. You'll listen to it. And a lot of times, you're going to be psyched on it. You're hearing it for the first time. If you're not psyched on it, that's a problem. Usually, you're excited about it. And then you play it for your friend who's a huge fan of your music. And they love it. And you're really hearing it through someone else's ears. So now you're super psyched. But then maybe you play it for your parents who aren't into punk rock or some random person. So now you're hearing it from a whole different perspective where you're like, oh, is this too brash for this person? Are they not hearing the vocals so clear? Do you know what I mean by this? Have you had this experience before? Uh,
0: Absolutely. I mean, there's times when you'll play something for somebody and it's just like right in their wheelhouse. So they love punk and ska. They're going to love this. Right. And other times it's someone you're like, I want them to love this, but you know you're kind of looking at the look on their face and it's kind of like there's a blank stare there and you're going and then you start analyzing you' start saying maybe 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 the guitars are too loud, maybe it's too fast, you know yes.
3: <laughs> exactly man, that's exactly the thing. I thought another really cool thing that I know you talk about most episodes, but I was really thinking while I was listening to this about how important repetition in a song is and I think when you're a younger band or more inexperienced your idea in your head of what is going to be enjoyable for the listener is to have as many new and exciting parts happening in a song not to take away from that or saying that can't be cool but there's something to be said and sometimes you need a producer to say yo you need to repeat that chorus or you need to do that pre-chorus more times and really pound that main melody into people's heads so they can sing along to it. And that seems like such a simple thing, but hearing Laura talk a little bit about Butch Vig in that situation, you wouldn't think Butch Vig would necessarily be talking about, you know, how many times <laughs> you repeat a chorus. It doesn't seem like that crazy of a thing
0: that you would hire someone like that to, to think about, but it's so important, man. It is. And it's interesting, you know, you go back to the the origins of, of rock and roll and, you know, it's uh, the reason that Louie Louie twist and shout. And, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, some of those songs, uh, are, are all the same tune. Um, it's just that immediacy and that catchiness and it doesn't need to have more parts. It just needs to be that. And that's what I love about white people for peace. This, this song, Um, it's, it just keeps hitting you with this riff and it doesn't have to change. Uh, I had mentioned in the episode, if there was some weird departure bridge part that took you away. Uh, it wouldn't have the driving force I think that this song has. there's something to be said about simplicity, and that's hard sometimes for me to say to artists. I don't want them to make make them feel like I think their songs simple in a bad light, and I think most of them get it but uh there's a simplicity sometimes that uh people take for granted and as i've I've gotten older as a songwriter, uh, you know I'll have this grandiose thought in my head of oh, it has to go to some crazy bridge part or the chorus has to be this it's like no, it doesn't it just needs to be what it is you know, and you have exactly. to really listen for that and pay attention for what the song calls for. And, uh, and that's difficult sometimes.
3: Right. And one thing that Laura brought up that I don't think we've talked about at all on these podcasts yet is the very, you're getting down to the very, uh, little aspect of the way you strum the song. And this song is all downstrokes. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of punchline songs and other bands I play in where that just adds to the feel of the song and maybe the listener doesn't even realize that but there is such a difference between going up and down and all downstrokes uh that you and I know that difference and you have that sort of aggression when it's all downstrokes and it's funny because it almost looks like if you're watching a person play all downstrokes it just looks aggressive <laughs> you know uh-huh. and you're and you're a guy who also knows the value of the upstroke, <laughs> you know, that's very obvious in ska music. The upstroke is maybe the m- most defining thing about ska music, but the downstroke when it comes to punk rock and aggressive music is just as important.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and, and you know, you, I never thought about this as a young songwriter. And when I got into studios with producers, the first time they would talk about things, hey, what, what if you strum this a different way? Well, what do you mean? <laughs> what if you downstroked right. it? what do you mean like this? Like, okay. You just didn't think about it. At least I didn't early on. And, uh, those are the things that I, I learned, uh, along the way. And, uh, it can, it can make or break the feel of a part of a song. Absolutely, man. And that's the right word too. feel
3: the way the song feels is really determined by so many things strumming, you know, the, the rhythm of the drums, the, the bass lines, do you have the bass line that's just mimicking the root note or do you have, you know, in in example, Less Than Jake's a perfect example of these, these bass lines that are that are wild. They're great and they add so much to the song and not it's not just Less Than Jake. It's think about Flea and Red Hot Chili Peppers and how important, you know, Flea and Roger and all, all those bass players who just stand out and how important that is. To that music and to the feel of the song.
0: Absolutely. And, and one other thing uh, I wanted to touch on the, the Laura mentioned was I was just so, so stoked of how open she was to just in, in praising of, of Butch Vig. Uh, a lot of bands, uh, you know, uh, the, the producer. Uh, there isn't great stories and I always love a great producer story. It sounds like against me learned a lot from Butch and he, you know, brought a lot of value uh, to this band. I, I knew it when I heard the record initially, I, I like I said, I, I thought it just sounded sounded like against me and a, a really loud venue turned up to 11 and, and just, I, I loved it. And it sounds like, uh, she learned a ton from him and, and as she said, uh, has, has taken that further in her career of, uh, how, how her and the whole band approach uh, record making to this day.
3: Right. It is really cool that
0: one of those things, one of those benefits minus
3: your album sounding great and your songs being better to working with a good producer are those things that you learn and you take away and then you carry with you throughout the rest of your career. In Punchline, I think about working with Sean O'Keefe and Mark McCluskey and Shep and Kenny, and they're all different styles of producers, but everybody in our band learned things from all of those guys that we still use today. And, uh, that's,
0: that's so important. And, uh, I just want to make mention again, that Laura's solo record is out now on polyvinyl. So make sure you check that out. And here's something else to check out, Chris,
3: uh, Thanks to the listeners of Krista Makes a Podcast, we were able together to raise $1,205 for Big Brothers, Big Sisters of the Laurel Region, which was September's charity on KristaMakesADifference.com. I think that's really awesome. It was the first month that we did this at KristaMakesADifference.com.
0: And uh big thank you to all the listeners out there because that's pretty damn cool, I would say. It's awesome, especially as we mentioned in previous episodes that we know uh, times are tough right now uh, with everything going on. A lot of people are out of work. So uh, thank you so much for your generosity. I know uh, Big Brothers and Big Sisters of the Laurel Region was uh, was very thankful for all your help. And uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, here at uh, Krista Makes a Podcast podcast, uh, every uh, month we're going to be featuring a charity uh, every week. We'll be uh, discussing it and uh, we would love your help uh, for the month of October. To the charity is Gilda's club from middle Tennessee. Uh, this one's near and dear to my heart. Matt Yonker, the, the drummer for less than Jake, his wife, Allison uh, has a, uh, been a part of gilda's club and worked there for uh the last 15 years uh gilda's club is named after comedian snl cast member and wife of gene wilder gilda radner who was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in 1986 uh, and she died of it in may of 1989. Uh, gilda realized the importance of emotional and social support while facing cancer Uh, and gilda's club middle tennessee opened its doors in 1998 and now More than 20 years later, it offers uh, about 60 professionally-led supporting and networking groups and more than 50 educational workshops and lectures each month, uh, all free of charge. Uh, Programs include support groups, individual counseling, healthy lifestyle workshops, mind-body classes, social activities, educational lectures, and community resource information. So uh, this is a good one. Uh, Please go to KristaMakesADifference.com. That will direct you to their site where you can donate, and uh, every little bit helps.
3: Yeah, and absolutely, man. And there's not a person listening to this, I can guarantee you that, who hasn't in one way or another, whether it was themselves or a friend or a family member, dealt with cancer in one way or another. And this is a unique way of dealing with it because the emotional toll that cancer takes on you is maybe something that's thought of secondary to the actual medical procedures and treatments that go along with it but what the toll it takes on your mental well-being uh is something that can't be understated so i thought when i read about gilda's club i thought this was a really awesome charity so uh, i'm really excited that this is october's krista makes a charity
0: yes having um, been uh, personally affected myself by cancer in my family and uh uh, about a month ago, lost a dear friend of mine uh, who played in a, a band in Florida I've known for years uh, to cancer. This really hits home. So again, please go to com and uh, donate if you can. And uh, yeah, i super excited uh, just for everything that's been going on lately. I want to thank again all the listeners out there for all your support. I know Chris Afalios keeps harping on that. Please leave us a review on iTunes. We like reviews. We like to hear from you. And uh, if you haven't already, please join the uh, Chris Makes a Podcast Facebook group. And hit me up at kristamakes at gmail.com. I want to produce your band and collaborate with you via live one-on-one Zoom sessions. So hit me up and uh, we'll, uh, we'll work on your songs. Absolutely, man. And hey,
3: I got to say one more thing.
0: If you're listening to this when this episode
3: comes out, I mean, you might be listening to this years later and you might be like, oh, yeah, I know about that. But if you're listening to this when it comes out. Uh, Less Than Jake just released a new song, man. It's called "Lie to Me." It's from the new album, Silver Linings. The song is amazing. I've uh, I- I'm supposed to keep this on the DL, but I've maybe heard a few more tracks from the- <laughs> from the album and. I will say that uh, this may be the best Less Than Jake album. And I'm not just saying that because I produce uh, Chris from Less Than Jake's podcast. I actually think that as a fan who's been a fan from the 90s. So that's pretty cool, man. Well,
0: well thank you, Chris. Yes, we're very excited about it. Silver Lines will be out uh, officially December 11th, uh, 2020. But uh, you can go to Pure Noise Records uh, and uh, find all the bundles and everything associated with it and go check it out. I'd really appreciate it. Oh yeah. And uh, again... Thanks each and every one of you, and we'll see you next week. With the Lucky Land Slots,
2: you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: This is the story of Whitney Houston.
2: This is the story of Kurt Cobain.
1: Of George Michael. Of Otis Redding. Of Amy Winehouse. Of Michael Hutchins. Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince.
2: It's a new podcast series
1: about how they died, why they died. Feeling understood.
2: And it's those moments we'll help you remember the ones you're thinking about right now.
1: That feeling.
2: That feeling.
1: It's coming soon from Crowd Network.
2: Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app.
1: And subscribe now.